Welcome everyone to church in Mesa, everyone in Ahwatukee. So glad to be with you in God's house as one church family and everyone who's online joining us today to have church. It's so good. We are a family, aren't we? The church is a family, and we're in this series called Family Meeting. Just like growing up, you had family talks. The church family has to have family talks sometimes. And so it's a real talk. It's a maybe heavy talk at times. And the thing is, we want you to know as part of the family what's important, what's going on, even some of the tensions that exist. And they're challenging messages, I think, but that's okay because being challenged helps us to change. And one of the things that we want to accomplish out of this series is give everyone in our church the opportunity to decide to become a member of this church family. Anyone can come to church here, but saying, I want to be a member means I'm going to be a fully developing follower of Jesus. I want to do the things that he says. I want to go all in. And so if you're like, hey, I can't do some of these things that you're talking about still come to church here, but I would encourage you that the things that we're talking about will be a blessing to you in your life. I'm talking through the the things that a member does as a part of a healthy church family. And to kind of recap some of that, we said the first week that family shows up. Isn't that true? Like family shows up, whether you're moving and you need them to help load the truck or you're in the hospital, whatever it is, family shows up. So we prioritize our gathering together because God said, don't neglect this. It's not that God needed us to gather together today. We needed to gather today. It's for our sake. So give yourself a gold star because you came to church today. And then we said last, uh, the second week that, that family works together and we're following the example of Jesus to serve one another. He said, serve one another as I have served you. And so I believe with all my heart that every Christian needs to serve in some way. God teaches you and develops you to become more like his son Jesus when you serve. You have to work it out oftentimes to learn what God wants to, to do through you. So serve, get on a team, go to G101, if you haven't yet, we need you to serve, but more so, you need to serve. Do you believe that? And then last week, this, this was kind of a challenging topic. We talked about family finances, and in God's family, the way that family finances work is God blesses us first through his son, Jesus, and then we give as Christians financially because we want to be like Jesus who gave everything for us, and then God uses our giving to build his church. That's why there are churches in America today that preach the gospel, because Christians give, As Christians give, churches grow, and they can reach more people, and that's why I'm encouraging you to give. We're gonna reach more people who are gonna come to know the goodness of God, and then they're gonna give, and we're gonna reach more people, and we're not gonna stop till we die. We're just gonna keep reaching people. So I said this, I think that tithing is the beginning of obedience. That means God gets the first 10% of everything that we make because we're honoring him with our wealth, not because we have to, we get to, and we praise God for the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. Many of you are beginning that part of your faith journey, but I'm encouraging you today, as you follow God's word, he's gonna bless you in so many ways. And just to kind of catch you up on another important thing that's going on in our church before I go on to this week's message, You need to know if you're part of this church family about our bold campaign. We're in the middle of this and we started this in August of last year and everyone who calls this their church home is being a part of helping us expand to reach more people. And in Mesa, we're building a new building. In Ahwatukee, we're expanding the space that we have to make room for more people. We have lots of projects going on, but you can see we're adding to what we have. We're gonna build this new building, new parking. It's gonna double the capacity of this campus. And in this season in our church, this is a huge thing because we are running out of space, but we do know that there are still a lot of people who need to know Jesus in our community. So God wants to use us to reach them. But this is only possible when Christians who call this their church home give generously above and beyond even their tithes. So last year, a lot of people made pledges a two-year pledge to help build this project and over $2 million in cash was pledged. And so far, over 800,000 of that has been given already. But the thing is, we still have a lot of people who weren't able to participate in that. Maybe you came and this was all happening and you're like, I just started coming to church here. I'm getting my bearings. Well, now you've decided to make this your church home. Or maybe you made one pledge, but God has blessed you so much that in your heart he's saying, Man, you can do even more. 
more than you thought you could. Or maybe you've come since we did this campaign, but you're saying like, this is my church family and God's gonna lead you, I think, to participate in this in some way. If God leads you to participate in this, we're gonna be giving out bold pledge cards at both of our campuses right now. Just take one, look at it. Um, if you don't need it, you can leave it on your seat, but you can take it and look at it and pray and ask God if he would have you to participate in this effort. Nobody in our church is gonna be guilt-tripped or pressured into giving ever. What we're doing is saying, this is about reaching lost people. It's about making room for people who need Jesus. The Holy Spirit is gonna lead you in how to participate. So just pray, listen to God, and do what he says. Amen? That's the best advice. Some of you are winter visitors and you weren't here when we did this, but if this is your home church, I think God wants you to be a part of this in some way. And this church is good soil to invest in, seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus Christ. So, hey, just pray, listen to God, do what he says, but take that pledge card home, bring it back, and then I I think God's gonna really use you and a lot of you to be a part of helping this project go forward. We've had two million pledged. It's a $6 million project. And we think that there's more that can be pledged. So far, things are going great. Our building permit request is into the county. They're giving us our first round of feedback of things they want us to change. There's always something. And uh, we're securing a general contractor. And all, all the things are moving forward. We believe construction could start in just a couple of months here. So we're excited. But we need more people to jump on board. And we are asking you to be a part of that. The message I wanna give to you today is about family lifestyle. Every family has a lifestyle and the family you grew up in has certain lifestyle vibes and aspects to it that are unique from other people's families. Every family is unique, isn't it? Like I grew up in a pastor's home, so I was a pastor's kid. And when people think of pastor's kids, they really imagine two different types. There's like the goody two-shoes pastor's kid and then there was me who was not a goody two <laughs> I was I was more like demon-possessed pastor's kid. And, uh, you know, we, we used to live in Kansas, and, and just people in that, in that culture, they were a little bit more judgmental. It, was, it wasn't my parents, but it was people, people in the church. I remember being in, like, classes in, in church, and there would be these adults who would, who would kind of come down on me when I was, I was doing things that were, that were not maybe the best, but they'd be like, you should know better. You're a pastor's kid. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I didn't ask to be a pastor's kid. Secondly, I remember thinking, if I'm supposed to be the standard of goodness, we're all in a lot of trouble. (laughs) But every family's got a culture and a lifestyle, and I represented my parents, for better or worse. But as Christians and part of God's family, all of your choices, all of your lifestyle decisions represent the family that you belong to. We are all part of God's family. And we have to be cognizant of our family name and the fact that we represent the family. It sounds like the Godfather, right? Like, you represent the family. (laughs) But Philippians says this in chapter one, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I love this, whatever happens, say whatever happens. When someone cuts you off in traffic, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. When your kids talk back to you, Conduct yourselves in a man. When your wife's not in the mood, conduct yourselves. (laughs) Whatever happens, because you represent your family. As a Christian, nobody expects you to be perfect. Amen? And and just so you know, this is one of those churches where you can say amen, you can clap, and you can sing, and you can raise your hands, and, and, and you can participate in this message. So if you hear something I say that's good, you can be a part of this, all right? So so nobody expects you to be perfect. There you go. But We have to ask ourselves sometimes, does my life represent Jesus accurately or poorly? I remember growing up having a bracelet that said WWJD, and it stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea was kids in the 90s were supposed to look down at that bracelet and ask themselves in the midst of a difficult life dilemma choice, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And oftentimes my answer was, I don't know what Jesus would do. So I'm gonna go with what Ryan would do. You know, one of the most damaging things to the cause of Christianity is Christians. Christians who don't represent Jesus with their actions. 
And I, I'm aware as a Christian, I represent Jesus with my actions. As a pastor, I think about that, that I represent Jesus. And so I like to, I kind of like to have my own phrase. You know, you can put this on a t-shirt if you want, but it's DTMJLB. <laughs> DTMJLB. You can, you can feel free to use this without copyright infringement. But I ask myself this, does this make Jesus look bad? Like when I'm making choices, you know, like there's a lot of things I want to do. But then I ask myself, if I do that, does this make Jesus look bad? And then that can help me sometimes like to, to correct my behavior because you're always representing the family of God in the way that you live your life. A fully developing follower of Jesus wants to make Jesus look good. And, you know, anyone can come to church here and have issues and things in their life that they're struggling with. But if you're going to say, I'm a church member, I want to be a church member, like I'm going to go all in, you're making this commitment up front. You're saying, I commit to live according to God's word, and I agree to support the essential biblical positions of Generation Church. I'm going to explain what that means, but I commit to living according to God's word. We live in a world that has flexible and relative standards. People will say, what's true for you might not be what's true for me. Like, that's fine for you, but that's not good for me. It's all relative to each his own. Do what makes you happy. Speak your truth. That's what people say today. Speak your truth, bro. <laughs> the thing is, there's only the truth. Yes. Amen. Amen? It doesn't matter how you feel about the truth. The truth is the truth. And when people talk all about all these relative standards of, of, you know, what's true for you might not be true for me, like in our spirits, we know that that's dumb. Even non-Christians know all this relativity is stupid. In our hearts, Christian, not even Christian, humankind has been seeking the truth for all of history. We want the truth. We want to know the truth. And we sense that the truth is out there. And so we seek it. We seek it, and as Christians, we know that the truth is only revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ as revealed in the word of God. There is truth. Jesus is the truth. He said in John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound customizable, relative? No, he says, I'm the truth. No one comes to the Father. No one can be saved except through me. People think there are many roads to God. Jesus Christ says there is only one way to God. It's through me. People think that seems very exclusive. It is. It's exclusively inclusive. <laughs> Jesus is exclusively inclusive. He says no one can come to God except through me, but anyone can accept me. Anyone may come. But he is the only, the only way. And we see through the example of Jesus that there is truth. There is right and wrong. In his word, God has established right and wrong. He exposes the lies of sin and he reveals the truth. So hear me, church. Right and wrong is not subjective. Doesn't matter what the culture says. We don't get to create our own version of the truth, as a fully developing follower of Jesus, we have standards that come from God. They come from the word of God. And Psalm 119 verse one says this, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. So we see that God establishes ways. He has law. He has statutes, and we want to follow his ways in order to do what's right, but don't miss that when you do what God says to do, you will be blessed. You're blessed when you follow God's ways, and you know, every family has rules. Every family has regulations. A lot of times it's for the kids, you know, like maybe it's on the refrigerator. The family rules, put your dishes in the sink. Family rules, don't hit your Brother, family rules, clean your room, family rules, do what your mom says. A lot of these guidelines that are in the Bible feel very basic like that, you know, like be kind to others, share, don't murder. It's like kindergarten, basically. 
And when we follow God's ways, we find that that leads to a blessed life. And I want you to understand the message of what I'm trying to say today right up front. The bottom line, some people have a short attention span and they're like, where are you going with this, Ryan? Let me tell you, here's my message today. Read the Bible, do what it says. That's my message. Don't worry, I don't worry about what Pastor Ryan says, but read the Bible, do what it says. If you do this, you will be blessed. The law of the Lord, it leads us into life. And it, God tells us through his word how to live, how to make choices, what, what we should do when we face different types of circumstances. And, and I know that that's not always easy, but God's word establishes God's ways. And when you do what God says to do, it's gonna lead you to a place that you're gonna enjoy. Can I just tell you that? It's not going to be easy every step of the way, is it? There are going to be moments when you're in the middle of a choice and you want to do one thing, but in your heart and from the word of God, you know that's not the right thing to do. Sometimes, like, I want to lose my temper and I want to tell someone, here's what I think about you. And then the Holy Spirit says, you better not. You better delete that text message. How many of you have deleted a lot of text messages since you became a Christian? And then you're like, delete, 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 delete. Did not send a lot of emails that I typed out. Praise God. It's not always easy to not do the things you want to do. But understand, you'll never regret choosing God's way over your way. There's a way that we want to go. And there's a way that our sinful nature wants us to go. It doesn't always align with God's way. And in that moment, you've got to decide who is the king of your life. Either you're the king or Jesus is king, but you can't both be king. There's no co-kings in the kingdom of God. You've got to decide whose ways are going to win out. The Bible has so much wisdom for us, like how to handle relationships, money, sex, how to build a business, how to plan for the future, what kind of people you should hang around with, how to have, uh, how to have healthy conflict, how to build a good marriage, how to raise kids, how to be happy if you're single, how, how to handle times of disappointment, what to do if you're scared, what to do if you're afraid. All of this is in the word of God and it's right there for the taking. And so I'm pleading with you today, read the Bible. Do what it says. It's gonna lead you to a place of blessing. There are areas of life when it's not always clear what to do based on what the Bible says. But you can still make all of your decisions based on biblical wisdom. So Ezekiel 44 says this about the priests. They will serve as judges to resolve disagreements among my people. And those are disagreements. So people weren't really sure what the clear-cut answer was. There were issues of disagreement. And the priests were judges to kind of help weigh in on these moments. Their decisions must be based on my regulations. I think that's interesting. That's talking about a time when the Bible doesn't clearly speak to what you're dealing with. But your decision can still be based on God's word, based on his instruction. And the priests themselves must obey my instructions and decrees. Well, we learn from Peter that we are now all a royal priesthood. You have the presence of God living inside of you. You have access to God. Now you are one who has to make decisions based on God's regulations, amen? All of our decisions should be based on God's regulations. He's not gonna speak to every specific detail that you face. He's not gonna tell you who to marry. Julie or Jessica, Julie, I can't find a verse. <laughs> but he will tell you what kind of person to marry. He won't tell you if you should buy a house in Gilbert or in Mesa or in Chandler or in Altuki, but he'll tell you how to manage your finances. And if you'll read the word of God, if you'll apply it to your life, you'll have the wisdom you need to make decisions based on his regulations. And there are a lot of these issues that are kind of gray or they're, or they're unclear because the Bible doesn't talk about it or it doesn't say a lot about it. And they're complex sometimes. And sometimes it involves things that we're dealing with today like technology. You know, the Bible doesn't say a lot about technology. It doesn't tell us what party to vote for, how, how economics should work, but all of our decisions can be based on the wisdom of God's word. And you need this wisdom. A lot of people, they need to pay a little bit more attention to God's 
regulations and his instructions and decrees. We can get oftentimes busy praying and asking God to reveal his specific will for our lives. God, where should I work? Who should I marry? Where should I invest my money? When should I retire? What school should my kids go to? How should I handle my kids when they're being difficult? And you need to know, as we pray about these specific situations, God has already given so much general wisdom that would help you in those situations. Understand that God won't lead you into his will until you follow his ways. God has already revealed his ways clearly in his word. And so we'll spend time praying, God, like, what's your will for my life? And oftentimes, even as Christians, we'll have areas of our lives where we know we're not doing what God has said to do in his word. And I'm not the one judging you. I'm not the one pointing things out in your life. You know what's going on in your life. You and God knows. And so there could be someone here today, maybe in your heart, you're like, I'm not living according to God's ways. And so you might find yourself praying, God, help me with this situation or help me with that situation. Well, God's not gonna lead you into his specific will for your life until you follow his ways, his general will that has already been clearly revealed to you. So get busy following his ways and watch him lead you into his will, amen? The word of God reveals wisdom. That's why we need to read the Bible and do what it says. If you don't read God's word, you're gonna miss out on the wisdom you need to make good life decisions. I love this verse from Proverbs chapter four. It says, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. I love that verse. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. It's like Fight Club. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. It's very straightforward. There's so much wisdom in the word of God and you need it. Pursue after it. Seek it out and apply it to your life and watch how you're blessed in your life. When a pastor talks about, hey, you should read the Bible, it's not so that you can gain all sorts of interesting Bible trivia to impress your friends with. It's so that you can download the wisdom of God into your spirit and be equipped for the choices that you've got to make in your life. Understand that the difference between a painful life and a joyful life is wisdom. You've probably heard someone say, you can learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way. Anybody here besides me ever pick the hard way? Mm, too many times, I'm afraid to say I've picked the hard way. You know where you find the easy way? It's in God's word. There's wisdom in God's word. It can help us to avoid so much pain. It can lead us into so much joy, just doing what God has said, just doing it. Leads us so much joy. So we need to read God's word to get wisdom and we need to pursue people with wisdom. There are a lot of wise, older, experienced Christians who have wisdom to share. And so to the younger Christians in our church, like if you're young, if you're my age or younger, maybe you haven't been saved for a long time, seek wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Go to those who are older, go to people who are older than me and ask them, you know, hey, I noticed you have a healthy marriage and you and your wife don't hate each other. Um, how'd you do that? <laughs> Go to parents who have kids that love Jesus and love them and ask, what did you do to raise these kids? Can you share some wisdom with me? For those of you who are older than me, we need you to share your wisdom with younger believers. We need you to participate in the life of the church. We need you to be in a life group. We need you to mentor young people in their faith. The church, we, know, we have access to so much information today with the internet, but we lack spiritual fathers and mothers. We need people who will speak truth, who will speak life and share wisdom. And then for, for anyone who's younger or new to faith, Ask questions. There's not enough question asking going on amongst God's people. It's almost like we're afraid. If I ask a question, then people will know that I don't know the answer. 
We know. We know you don't know the answer. We see your drama on Facebook. Go to people with wisdom and ask, hey, what, what do you think about my situation? What do you think? It doesn't mean you have to do everything that they say, but you're gonna gain some nuggets of gold that you can mine out of whatever they say. Ask, seek wisdom, watch God lead you into a joyful life as you pursue it and apply it. So man, as a fully developing follower of Jesus, I'm saying, I'm gonna read the Bible and do what it says because I know that my life represents the family of God. And then as a member of this church, you're saying, I'm going to support the essential biblical positions, the essential biblical positions. And what do I mean by that? Great question. Let me explain it. There are essential and non-essential issues as Christians, aren't there? There are essential issues that we hold on to tight, closed-handed, and we're not letting go. These are the things that determine if you're going to be saved or not. For example, that Jesus is fully man and fully God, that he died for our sins and rose again, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that there is one God revealed as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And that's it. Those are essential issues. If you don't agree with those, you might not be saved. And we're not gonna gonna debate. We're not gonna let go. You can come to church here still, but you're just like not gonna be a part of the church family. You're not gonna be an official member. I'm just telling you. But then there are non-essential issues, and that's a lot of stuff. There are a lot of non-essential issues that historically has divided Christians. And I'm saying we are not gonna fight over those. We don't fight over non-essential issues, things that the Bible doesn't speak too clearly or doesn't say a lot about. So here, here are some examples, like eschatology is the study of end times. Like, so we, we don't know exactly when Jesus is gonna come back or what it's gonna look like. We just know he's coming back. Or like how old the earth is. Is it younger? Is it older? Well, well we don't know for sure. Or what Bible translations are the best. You know, that's not something that should divide Christians. I've actually had, I've had people leave the church because they didn't like a Bible translation. It's like, you need to chill out, bro. <laughs> Things like demonology, like what, what, what are demons doing? It's like, we don't really know that much about what demons are doing. We know that they exist, but God doesn't say that much about it in his word because he doesn't want us focusing on demons. He wants us focusing on people. What kind of model of church government is the best? Or what worship styles are the best? You know what worship style is the best? Whatever one works effectively in the culture that you're in. These are things that we might have opinions about, and it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have personal preferences, but we should not fight over these things. My opinion is this. My attitude is this. This is my mindset. If God didn't think it was worth talking about, then we know it's not worth fighting about. If God didn't think it was worth clearly spelling it out, all of us as Christians should hold it open-handed with humility. If it's not clear, it's because don't necessarily know for sure. So we're humble. There are things that, man, we just, we're just not sure about. And when we disagree with each other, I didn't say if we disagree. I said when we disagree, we represent Jesus even in those moments. How will we disagree? Will it get ugly? Will it be mean? Will people be snobby? Or would it be kind? We can disagree with humility. And I, I think of the example of Romans chapter 14. It says, so let's stop condemning each other. Amen, anybody? Does that resonate with you? Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So this passage speaks to everyone in one way or another. There are issues that have been historically debated in churches, things that are non-essential issues. For, let me give you a couple examples. One would be like alcohol. Growing up, you know, I, I kind of felt like Christians wouldn't drink, but then people who grew up in other Christian denominations, they definitely drank. And, and so you will see if you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to drink. It just says it's a sin to be drunk. That's a little bit of a tip for some of you who are in college. 
But some of you who are believers, you feel like it's not right for you to drink. You, in your heart, it's a matter of conscience. You feel like that would be a sin for you. Others of you are like malting craft beer in your garage this afternoon and drinking wine multiple times a day. So here, here's the deal. Neither, neither side should be condemning each other because it's not clear and it's not an essential issue. If you drink, you shouldn't do it in a way that causes another believer to stumble and fall because there are people you don't know who might have had abusive families. Maybe they wrestle with addiction. And if you're flaunting your wine and your beer on social media, if you're, if you're cracking beers open at Life Group, you could be a stumbling block to someone else. So this is being loving to people, being like, hey, I, I can but I won't. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. And if for you, if, if you're somebody who you think like, man, drinking would be wrong for me, I would, feel, I would feel wrong about it. Well, then don't condemn people who do it because it's not a matter that should divide us. We should not condemn. So alcohol would be an example. Who you vote for, that's, a, that's another example. You can make good arguments for voting for different parties and for different reasons and stuff. We shouldn't condemn each other. Gambling. The Bible doesn't say that gambling is a sin, but a lot of you probably were led to believe that it was. Just, that's just something. It's like, don't condemn people. What kind of shows you should watch? What kind of clothing you should wear? What is the standard of modesty, right? Another, another one that Christians get kind of fired up about is what words people use. Like, you know, you said a cuss word. I thought you were a Christian, but you're cussing over there, saying cuss words. <laughs> Do you know that there are no lists in the Bible of four-letter cuss words to avoid? I mean, the words that we consider cuss words were not even words when Jesus was on the earth. The Bible does say, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But that could be very subjective in terms of what that means. So if you swear like a sailor... You should probably pray about that. <laughs> but don't be swearing around people who feel like that's bad. And then if you don't talk that way, you know, that's good. But don't condemn people who do. It's not an issue that should divide us. Are you tracking what I'm saying? When a brother or sister in Christ, part of your church family, does sin in a clear-cut way, sometimes we do need to talk about it. Amen. So if you become a member of Generation Church, uh, at the end of this series, you're going to have the opportunity just to decide if you want to or not. It doesn't mean anyone expects you to be perfect, but you're saying, I want to live according to God's law, and I want my church family to hold me accountable. Right? Like sometimes like, people hire a trainer because they're saying, I want to lose weight and get in shape, and I need someone to hold me accountable. When you're really part of a church family and you go all in, you're saying, I want you to tell me if I'm doing something is not according to God's word. That's beneficial. Accountability is beneficial. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if, a, in, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. Let me read that part again. Go privately and point out that offense. It doesn't say tweet about it. It doesn't say tell everyone else you know about it first. Oh, did you hear what Sarah did? Oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that. No, it says go privately. Doesn't mean start angry, posting on Facebook. Man, some people. Now, first, first go privately and point out the offense. It goes on to say, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. Do you see that the point of confrontation is not to condemn someone and tell them how bad they are, but it's to win them back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. <laughs> I know, it's so intense. <laughs> Woo! That's not going on the public relations pamphlet. <laughs> it's a little bit intense. I think the idea is so if, you know, if someone sins or they sin against you, go privately to that person. And if they don't hear you, if they're like, no, I don't want to hear it, I don't care, the Bible says go back with two or three people to confirm what you're saying. You know, you, know, you, you might have a friend like, in your life group, and you'd be like, you know, hey, man, 
you know, you're a liar. And you've been lying about all this stuff, and we know you're lying. Like, you need to stop. And if they're like, oh, no, I'm not lying. No, I'm not lying. You're wrong. I'm not lying. You're wrong. You're a liar. Then go back with two or three people, and they can be like, yeah, it's true. You're a liar. (laughs) And then if they still won't listen, go to your church and be like, hey, can somebody else talk to this guy? Because he's a liar. (laughs) And then, like, listen, if they still won't listen, the Bible talks about treating them like someone who is not a part of the family, that there is actually a time and a place to expel people from fellowship. Why? Why? Because some people's hearts get hardened to the point that the only thing that can help them is to be cast out. Sometimes you have to come to the bottom of the barrel, the end of the rope. Sometimes you have to be face to face with your own sin to actually break your heart and confess and repent before God. And it's actually an act of mercy sometimes that God lets us suffer in our sin so that we would hopefully repent and be restored back to relationship with God. Now, let me tell you what, this does not happen a lot. In this day and age, this does not happen a lot, and it probably shouldn't. There's not a lot of people getting expelled from church. We're generally trying to get people to come to church. Because if you got problems, this is where you need to be. But if you're saying, hey, I wanna be a church member, I want you to hold me accountable to God's word. I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. Well, then there could be a time to come and bring correction. And let me just give you an example of how that has looked. And I even debated if I should tell you about this because it could be like too much information. But here's a real world example. About a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, there was this guy who was a Christian and he started telling people in his life group that he did not believe Jesus was a real person. And he had this like new age ideology that he got into about, you know, Jesus is inside all of us and we're all Jesus. And that is a direct contradiction with an essential Christian doctrine. And so the guys in his life group told him, you're wrong and you should, you should probably deal with that. Like you need to stop saying that. It's one thing if you're wrestling with doubt, but then he started trying to convince other people. And they're like, we don't wanna talk about, about this with you. Like stop. And he wouldn't listen. And so then they, they, told, they told me, they told some pastors, like, this guy's trying to convince people Jesus is not real. And so we told him, like, you need to stop. Stop. It's one thing if you're wrestling with it, but stop trying to talk to other people about that. And he wouldn't stop. And so finally I told him, you need to stop coming to church here. And then he, eventually he came back and said, you know, I'm sorry. You were right. And we said, all right, come on back. That's the goal And that's what this passage is talking about. It's not like fun and games, but there's a time when it's necessary. Now, if you're thinking about maybe having to correct someone, you think about maybe you see someone sinning and and you notice it and you wanna be a good brother in Christ, let me help you, Give you give you some tips here. Correction happens best out of relationship. Usually the people that God is gonna to use you to help in that kind of way are gonna be people that you already have a relationship with. If you're walking up to people in church that you don't even know and you're like, oh, by the way, I noticed you doing something that was sinful, they're gonna say, I don't even know you. Get away from me. Because it's true, right? People don't generally care what you know until they know that you care. When you have a relationship with someone, like, like someone in your life group, right? That's the person you already have a relationship with. That's the person to go to. That's the person to go to. But man, you notice there are people coming to this church, and if you have eyes, there are people coming to this church who still sin. <laughs> like me. <laughs> people who come to this church who still sin sometimes. And we're not going around constantly pointing out each other's sins. You know why? Because a lot of people aren't asking. A lot of people don't want to know. A lot of people don't want to be corrected. And so let me share something I've learned that's given me a lot of peace. I don't have to fix everyone. I don't have to fix everyone. It's not my job. It's not your job either. A fully developing follower of Jesus seeks out accountability and says, I want you to help me stay on track. And if that's you, we will help you. But a lot of people don't want that yet. And they're at a place in their life where they don't want that level of accountability. And so I've learned I don't have to fix that person. And neither do you. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you 
will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is good news for all of us, that God began the work and he's still working within you. He will continue the work. I know what that means is that God is continuing to work on all of us. Some of us in the, in the room, some of us in the church family get a little too worried about what other people are struggling with. You don't need to worry about that. It's not your job to fix them. Maybe I missed it, but the Holy Spirit did not deputize you. This is junior deputy of sin corrections. He doesn't need you going around pointing out what's wrong in people's lives. He does generally want you going around encouraging people. Some of you also get so burdened with your own shortcomings and sins and mistakes. You get burdened by your own imperfections. Listen, especially if you grew up in a legalistic religious background. Some of you did. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You grew up in a background where you never felt good enough. You never felt like you measured up. Even if you went to church or some kind of religious system you participated in, you never felt like you measured up. You always felt short of the standard. This passage an encouragement to you because God is still working on you. He began a good work inside of you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this word promises he's gonna continue that work until the time Jesus comes back or until you enter heaven. He's gonna complete the work. Maybe you're disappointed with your progress, but you shouldn't be because God is not done with you yet. He's still getting started. I wish you would give God a minute to complete his work. It's like a lot of you guys, you know what I'm talking about, the men, uh, you find out when you get married that you've been doing everything wrong. You know what I'm saying? You find out, like, I don't do anything right. Dishes, laundry, cleaning, it's all wrong. Like one time as a new husband, I was trying to help my wife, trying to get some husband points, and she was folding towels, and I was like, watch this. I'm like, girl, let me help you fold some towels. I'm gonna fold this towel, and I'm like, she, she's like, what are you doing? I'm folding the towel. She's like, that's not how you fold a towel. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, fo- it's folded. You got to do it right. You got to do it the same way. They got to all line up and stack up and be neat. Well, apparently I didn't know how to fold a towel. You're going to have to give me a minute. The last two decades, I've just been throwing them in the closet in bundles. Right? Some of you, some of you spent two or three or four decades learning how to be good at sinning. And now you've been a Christian for five years or ten years, and sometimes you feel like you're not good enough as a Christian. Well, I wish you would give God a minute to continue the work that He began in you. Man, there's a lot of times we don't feel good. I don't feel good enough a lot of times. I don't feel like I'm a good enough pastor. I don't feel like I'm a good enough preacher. But I have to be reminded about what God says, that he's not done working on me yet. He's still working on some things. He's still chipping away at some things that don't belong. He's still teaching me to trust him. He's still teaching me how to love people. He's still teaching me how to understand what he's doing, even when I don't see what he's doing. You might not like what I look like now, but that's okay because I'm still under construction. And I've got to remind myself. I'm not the finished product. He's still working. Don't leave a review yet because God's still working on me. And he's still working on you. Trust him to continue the work that he began. He just began. But sin can be a burden and it can weigh on us and we can become aware of our own sins and too aware of our own shortcomings and even get focused on them. In Hebrews 12, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Sin is a burden. The weight of our sins can be a burden. And it can stop you from running the race that God has called you to. It doesn't mean we don't care about sin. It doesn't mean that we treat it nonchalantly like, oh, that's just sin. It is a big deal, but we're supposed to lay aside that weight. And how do you do that? By keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. 
he's still perfecting your faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Lay that weight aside. Part of being a Christian is knowing I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. So let's give God some time to keep working. We're gonna try to live according to his standard. We're gonna seek after his will. We're gonna try to do what the Bible says. But even when we fail, we have joy. Part of the gospel lifestyle that we're representing is having joy and peace even in the midst of our own failures. People know you're Christians. You know that, right? They're like, where where do you go every Sunday? (laughs) So they're going to look at your life and how what you do lines up with what you say. That can be a lot of responsibility. But what they should see in you is not just you doing what's right. They should see how you respond when you do what's wrong. When you do what's wrong, and that moment will come, do you put your head down with your tail between your legs and run from God and hide for a few months until you feel like it's safe to come out of your hidey hole again? Or do you repent of your sin and own it and receive God's forgiveness and walk forward in the confidence of God's grace? That's part of the gospel lifestyle. Like, man, I notice that you're trying to do what's right, but even when you don't, you don't even miss a step. You just keep going after God. Yeah, because, man, I'm saved by grace. That's how God works, right? We're striving for righteousness, but we're resting in the goodness of God's grace. He's the perfecter of our faith. Maybe you're a Christian and there could be sin in your life that needs to be confessed and repented of. Maybe you're not a Christian and you sense that sin is separating you from God. And if you're not a Christian, it is separating you from God. But God is seeking reconciliation with all sinners. Jesus did not come to judge you, but to restore your relationship to God. God has always been seeking reconciliation. Go back to the Old Testament, Micah chapter seven. It said, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Where are your sins? They're in the depths of the ocean. We serve a God of unfailing love, a God of compassion. He doesn't stay angry forever because he's already poured out all of his anger for my sins on Jesus Christ who hung on the cross. That was so he could trample sin under the feet of Jesus and cast them as far as the east is from the west. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was not angry in the Old Testament. He was always a God of compassion and unfailing love. Jesus just came as the physical representation of who God is. It says in John chapter one that the word became human. Think about that. The perfect standard of God's righteousness became human made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love. That's the same, that's the same that God's always been. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is a physical representation of God's love. He is truth and he is grace. The truth means that he loves us enough to tell us where we're wrong. He loves us enough to point out the fact that we do have sin. He didn't die on the cross because he had nothing better to do. He did it because we are sinful and our sins have to be paid for. He paid for them so that he could show us grace. We receive this grace as a gift. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But it's something that God offers to us and we receive through faith. Notice that Jesus brought grace on top of the grace that already existed. Sometimes in Christian circles, the law of Moses gets a bad rap. Like the law was bad somehow, but the law was not bad. The law was given as a gift as well. The law was a part of God's grace. God gave us his regulations and his rules and his guidelines to lead us and guide us so that we could aim our arrow at 
after something, but the law also highlights our imperfections and that we don't live up to the standard, which helps us to realize I can't do it on my own. I need a savior to save me. That leads us to more grace through Jesus Christ. He brings grace on top of grace already given. This is the gospel lifestyle that I'm striving to live out the truth, but I'm resting in God's grace. When we follow Jesus, we begin the journey of trying to become like him. And the cool thing is that God sees us as righteous because he sees you spiritually clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your faith journey is about filling out those clothes and being who Jesus has made you to be. It's a process, it's a journey. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet in Mason Nawatsuki. Let's get ready to respond to this message. And first, let's just talk to the person who's here who says, I'm not a Christian yet, but I want to be. Okay, part of that process of becoming a Christian is acknowledging I have sins and I need forgiveness. And the first step is saying, I need, a, I need a savior, I need forgiveness, I need to confess my sins before God and acknowledge that. I need to repent and I need to receive God's forgiveness. You have to re recognize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And if you're a Christian, don't ever get sick of hearing that because that's what sets you free. Jesus didn't stay dead though. If he did, he would have just been another man. He rose from the grave to prove he was the son of God. He resurrected, which gives you life and the promise of eternal life to come. So becoming a Christian is about believing that, that Jesus is God, that he died for your sins, that he rose again and saying, I need you to save me and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Let's bow our heads right now. If you're here and you say, I want that, I wanna take that step of faith and pray with me and say, Jesus, I need you and I accept you. I want you to save me. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins to pay the price that I could not pay. I believe that you rose again and I wanna follow you from this day forward. I wanna live like you lived, but I'm gonna trust you even when I don't. I'm just gonna keep following you. And I thank you for loving me, not for what I do, but for who I am. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.